verses 1 to 11, the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of Jesus, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him, and angels came and attended This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Roger. Let's pray. Father, every time we come before your word, we, we, we yearn to learn something from it that will shape us and help us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us this morning and that he will fill in uh, the things I don't say and he would help the things I do say at land helpfully. Amen. Uh, for those who are visiting, uh, we've been working through since September the key Bible stories based on a list called The Nation's Favourites by the Bible Society. And we started with Genesis, uh, creation and Adam and Eve, and then we looked at how they escaped, how the people escaped from slavery in Egypt and how they wander through the desert. And, and now we've arrived at these critical points of Jesus' life. So we're starting to sort of come towards the end, if you like, of the whole arc of the Bible story, the whole beginning and end. We're nearing, we're nearing the um, climax, if you like, of the story. And it's really, really helpful uh, that we have this one um, uh, to help us understand a little bit more. And I think we've discovered not just more about God's faithfulness, but also more about what it is to be a person, to be a human, what God intended uh, for people to be. And um, it's important, actually, I think it's appropriate and helpful, perhaps, that having baptised Freddie this morning, we're thinking about what sorts of people does God imagine or hope we will become. Our hope is that um, Freddie will grow with not just a sense of right and wrong, uh, but a sense of, of sense of God's presence with him. And as Christians, we want that sense of presence with us. We, want, we know he's with us, but we want to know he's with us. It's a subtle difference, isn't it? We forget sometimes, and it's important because as we, um, as we grow as adults, 
as we grow as Christians, we find ourselves in ever more difficult situations, I suppose, where we want to know, where do I turn? How should I come here? But essentially, this story seems to be about Jesus's identity. And that's critical, isn't it, to understanding who we are, because if we understand who we are, we know how to behave. It's quite simple, isn't it? If we know and value who we are, then we behave appropriately. And that's central to understanding this. Um, But I wonder, uh, as as we go on in life, perhaps we will find ourselves uh, saying, you need to be true to yourself. Who's heard that phrase in the media? Who's had that, seen that on social? You just need to be true to yourself, only half of us. Okay, no, more of us now. Thank you very much for admitting it. Good. Uh, But being true to yourself. but But if you don't know who you are, you don't know what value God has placed on somehow. How, what does that mean? And how do we find it? If we haven't got God in, in our life somehow, how do we know who we are? Where are we going to get it from? Well, are we going to get it from our sense of our national identity? Did you notice that this one's got that one of these passports has got the EU written off it? These will be available later. I don't know that <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be available over coffee later on this morning. So do we get it from our sense of where we're from? Do we get it from a sense? I know we've got some Geordies in here, you know, so it's important. We have a sense of actually where I come from is important and some values are carried with that. Do we get it from a sense of our family? Picture of my mum and dad. (laughs) Not not at all. But what are our families bringing to us a sense of identity? How do they encourage us to grow? How do they encourage, what values do they instill upon us that's my bedroom at the top window there or is it or is it our sense of work and actually this is a huge one for a lot of people especially as some of your older boys and girls have retired well you know there's that sense of what what did I used to do easily becomes who did I used to be so it's quite important actually isn't it our work because it takes up so much of our life and time and energy can actually steer who we are and one of the one of the funny things about um when I was teaching, they called me the policeman. When I things that minister, they called me the teacher. Who knows? What is going to happen next? You know, with all these different things that people ascribe to us. It's difficult sometimes to shake them off. But let's have a look at, at Jesus' identity and have a look at this story. I have to confess, I've often struggled with this story because it's Jesus on his own out in the desert. And whereas most of the other gospel stories, I can say, well, that's all right, because I can see that somebody else was there. Um, I do struggle with it. But this story appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so although they're slightly different, because each writer is saying a slightly different thing, or making a different point, it does mean that they've got a common source, that they were writing from some other source that we don't have. But the story is consistent And so I I say, okay, this is a story about Christ doing some important things. And it's important that we follow um, that Jesus has just been baptized. The end of chapter 3, Jesus is baptized and a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then we read that Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to be tested by the devil And the devil throws at him, I'll talk about him in a minute, but the devil throws at him three different temptations. He wants stones into bread. He's been there 40 days. He's going to be hungry. At throwing himself down from the temptation and then falling down and actually worshipping the devil. Those are the three uh, temptations or tests. Tests would actually be a better translation of what the devil does. He tests us. He wants to push us and test us. 
are you really? Can you really? Is it true? You think about the Genesis story. Did God really say? That's the first thing he does. He tests your memory. So we have this encounter with the devil. Now, in the, devil, in the Old Testament, so I've just alluded, Satan is an accuser in the heavenly court, one of the sons of heaven. And he tries to get God to test people to see if their faith is real. A bit like the story of Job. How real is his faith? Because you've made him quite well off. Um, but actually, by the New Testament, there's clearly been a shift. And Satan has become this purely evil figure bent on the destruction and annihilation of everything that God has made, including us, including Christ as well. So although this is, looks like it's about um, temptation, there's more going on behind the scenes. He's testing whether Jesus will use his power, whether he will use his position, whether he will use his reputation in return for glory. He's putting him in a situation where he can use qualities that he has for his own ends rather than do what God has called him to do. And if we look at two of the first temptations, the devil begins, if you are the son of God, verse 3, and verse 6, if you are the son of God. He doesn't need to with the third temptation because it's clearly, um, it's clearly not going to help him make his, make his case. But he's talking about, are you really who God says you are? Now, there's a question for the modern Christian. Do you believe you really are who God says you are? That is quite a powerful question. And the devil is throwing the same question at Jesus himself. Well, let's have a look. If Jesus has been baptized, he's been filled with the Spirit, and we hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. Sorry, I was using a different translation. But it's important, these words from heaven, because they were heard by those who were there. And when God declares these things, he's saying, you can deal with Jesus as though you were dealing with me. It's a Jewish sort of tradition that when a son came of age, the father could take him to the center of the city gates and declare to the courtyard and say, you can do business with this, my son as though you were doing business with me. He has the same right count authority over my business as I have. So when people met and encountered Jesus, they were meeting God himself. Jesus had the same qualities as God. And more than that, we see he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the presence of the power of God. Fully person, fully man but also fully God, full of God as well. So here he is. He's about to start what he's doing. And the first thing, as we so often know, when you get something new, it's tested. It doesn't work the way you want it. Is Jesus going to work the way he expects to? But look at Jesus' answers, and we see that the devil's going deeper than just, can you really do it? He's going a little bit deeper than, can you really cope? Each of Jesus' answers, which we uh, can read in the chapter here, if you are the son, uh, Jesus answered, it's written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And then finally, away from me, Satan, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Each of those responses to the devil's temptations come from a book called Deuteronomy, which we had a go at preaching through a couple of years ago. Good work, and we got the key bits done. Um, and this was the recording, if you like, of Moses' encouraging talk to the people of God before they entered the promised land. So we've just prayed, prayer over the water includes parts of that story. That they, entered, they left slavery in Egypt, crossing the waters of the Red Sea. They spent 40 years wandering in the desert to get to the promised land, where they learned about their relationship with God because the people of God were supposed to demonstrate to the rest of the world what their God was really like. We have the same charge. We are supposed to demonstrate and illuminate to the rest of the world what God is really like. That's his goal. That was what Adam and Eve were put on earth for, to show what God was really like. We have the same privilege we have the same privilege as they did. But in the story of the Bible, they didn't do it very well. They got messed up and they did all sorts of things. But nevertheless, we read, as Moses encouraged them, as a father carries his son, the Lord your God carries you as a father carries his son. So a lot of Jesus' identity is wrapped up in God the Father. And a lot of Israel's identity was supposed to be wrapped up, should be wrapped in understanding God as their father. And a lot of our identity should be wrapped up in understanding that God is our father. Ergo, we're his children. Okay, so that's really important. So let's have a look at these in a bit more. Jesus must have been hungry. 40 days he's in the desert. I don't know how many of you even try. I can't, do a, I can't even do a juice fast. I don't know how long. Who's done a 5-2? Anyone done a 5-2 diet? Nobody's admitting to it. Okay, that's fine. But for those of you who've done a 5-2, I can do like about, about 0.55, 0.56 and a half, something like that. I can't just get past uh, that first sort of long morning of not eating very much. But Jesus must have been pretty hungry after 40 days. And so the first temptation is really there to, to um, test him on this, to push him on how, in, how much he can endure. But his response is really interesting because hunger and suffering were part of Israel's experience. They were in the desert, not 40 days, but 40 years. And in that, they endured and they struggled and they got hungry and they complained, but God was faithful. He brought them bread from heaven. He brought them quail. He found water for them when they were complaining that there was nothing to do. When they started to think about, we'd rather be back in slavery in Egypt, God gave them what they needed. This is the But Jesus says the suffering, what his response says is the experience of suffering is important because it teaches us there's bigger things out there than what we, read, what we need right now. And he talks about the words of God being much more important than just food. There are more important things in life than our immediate wants and needs. Then, Satan takes him to the top of the temple. I don't know how that happened. Okay, but, let's, but, but Jesus must have recalled this story, took him to the top of the temple, and says, go on, throw yourself off. You can do it. You know, bungee without the rope. You can do it because you've got angels who can save you. Because if you're the son of God, you have that right. You have the authority to do that. The Son of God 
can command that. But what we see is that Jesus doesn't allow himself to be, be tricked into that. It's good to rely on God. But what Jesus replies is, it's not good to test God. It's not good to test God. It's not good for us to deliberately, to deliberately put ourselves in the situation where we say, go on then, God, now you sort it out. Now, how many of us do that? Okay, it's the same hands. I really like you. <laughs> it's really, pray about it. And it's really helpful, but we do, don't we? We say, we know, well, I'm going to go and do this, and then if it doesn't sort out, I'm going to pray about it, and then God will sort it out. Actually, that's not what we're supposed to do with the privileges we have as Christians. If we find out God can help us in stuff, but we're not to contrive things where we will demonstrate how good God is because he gets us out of messes we create. So God is, Jesus is saying, look, you shouldn't be pushing, trying to force God's hands like that. And the third test is about his allegiance. He doesn't even ask if you're the son of God. I know you're the son of God. I'm asking you to switch sides. Come and worship me instead. Because I can give you all of this and the, and the power and the glory and a space. It's quite interesting. He sort of paints a picture of the space in which he can do whatever he wants. Because Satan will give him the authority to do so. You can use your power and get your reputation and glory however you see fit. If you just switch sides. And Jesus says, it's brilliant, isn't it? Away with you. Away with you. Enough. And sometimes we need to say that in our lives. But away from me. Worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. He's not prepared to compromise, even though what's of with who he is. I've been put on earth. Christ has this very clear idea of who he is, who he relies on, and what he's supposed to do. How many times through Mark's gospel do we read the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, to die as a ransom for many, to be a healer, to heal the sick. Those are the things God has called him to do. In Revelation, we, re we read about him, the lamb who was slain or looked and then was alive. That's what he's come to do. And he doesn't want to be deviated from it. He's true to who God has called him to be. His understanding of himself so I've come here to do the Lord's will. And the Lord's will is that I die and rise again for the people. That I be a light to the nations. Well, now what? Can we hold on to that idea that God is our Father and can carry us through stuff? And what are we going to do the rest of the time when we forget that? Well, it's an important opportunity, isn't it? We've been reminded just this morning, saying these vows and reminding ourselves about who we are and who God wants us to be. And through baptism, we can become children of God with the Holy Spirit in, this, in us in the same way that he lives in Jesus. We are children of God, then it ought to make a difference in how we navigate the tests of our life. We are signing up for Bear grill during hardship. We don't seek it out. We are not people signing up for Bear Grylls action camps, are we? No, there we go, no hands on that one. <laughs> we don't really like hardship, but what Jesus recognises, and what is good to recognise, is that sometimes hardship teaches you stuff. 
Hardship, out of tough things, can come good things. Out of endurance can come new things that you learn, new strengths, things that we have to, things that we have to adopt or change about how we are. And sometimes out of those things, we find that God is faithful where we didn't expect to find him at all. And it's, it's, it's important. We have a deeper appreciation in our character and our awareness. We've got some, you know, some of our brothers and sisters have long-term illnesses. How much do we need to pray and support them enduring and recovering and doubting and being the people God has called us to be? But maybe we should embrace it. Maybe we should say, I don't get this, I don't like it, but you're going to teach me something from it. Because I, ha- I know the Bible says nothing, nothing gets in the way of your love for me. That's important. And we sometimes we look for quick fixes, don't we? I'm not going to ask for hands up on these ones, don't worry. <laughs> but we look for quick solutions. We look for, can you get me out of this? Or I'm going to proceed down this way, and if I get into a trouble, well, then God will sort it out. Actually, we need to be more careful, don't we? We need to be, we need to be thinking about how did we get into that compromise? Sometimes we call it a win-win, but sometimes we've given away things that really were of God, not ours to give away. Sometimes we've compromised on who we are in order to get a peaceful solution. Sometimes Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. If you stick to me, sometimes people won't like it. It's hard. It's hard sticking to your guns when people around you are saying, no, come and do this, come and do this. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what were the compromises that led me to the pickle I'm in? And that's tough. But we also have to acknowledge that sometimes we, we expect God to bail us out when we've ignored him. Because if we're walking with God, he's near. And the Bible says he carries us as a father carries a son. We need to be careful how we treat our relationship with him. And we do, we look for power and glory. And how many people, for how many of us is our reputation our most important characteristic? For how many of us is our, the quality of our work the thing that we, actually defines us? For how many of us feel the pressure of always having to get it right or doing better than the last one? Doing better than the last thing you achieved? And how many of us feel that enormous sense of indignation when somebody challenges the way you've done something? What do they really know? How could they possibly? Oh. And yet within there is that dynamic of us being powerful our reputation, the way we do things, the world I control. We need to be careful with these things, don't we? Jesus managed not to compromise on any of these things, and yet I think they're daily experiences, and we don't have to do 40 days in the desert to experience them. If that makes faith sound really difficult and hard work, I'm sorry, Um, because actually the reality is that Faith is putting our trust in Jesus Christ, who did do these things well. Faith is putting our trust in in, in the Son of God, who did things perfectly, magnificently, wonderfully, miraculously. And actually, it's his complete faithfulness that saves us. We put our trust in his complete faithfulness, an unending, um, what do you call it, a staircase, uh, conveyor belt, not conveyor belt, um, Escalator. Thank you very much. It's slow then. But, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just an escalator to disappointment, isn't it? If I have faith in this, 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 then things, things, won't happen. Well, things will happen. But that's not what we're called to. 
We're called to have faith in one who's already got it all right. We're called to trust in one who's demonstrated that he can do it and we can't. And that's the call, isn't it? That's what makes us Christians. We're supposed to have faithfulness in his faithfulness to God the Father. And on he has that on our behalf. And where we've been weak, he's been strong. And it's his, Jesus, it's his death and resurrection we trust in. And it's his life we need. It's his spirit we receive within us, and it's his forgiveness that covers us. It's his father who loves us and teaches us, and it's his patience that encourages us. It's his face we should be seeking, and it's his healing we should, that helps us. It's his joy that one day we will share. Remember the verses in Hebrews? Here I am, Father, and the children you have given me. It's his faith we share, his joy we share, and we can be like him when we ask him to be alongside us in the daily thing we call life. And that's what it is to be Christian. Lord Jesus, we thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you that you never lost sight of who you were called to be, to be the true Israel, to be the light for the nations to be salvation for the Gentiles. And we thank you that we have been grafted in, that we've been made one with you. We pray for ourselves that we would know that you are with us and that we would cry out to you, to you in our daily life. All closely we pray and bless us. Amen.